Today, we're going to talk about a mother's heart. Today is May 8th, 2016. A mother's heart. You can go ahead to the uh, PowerPoint there. As we're talking about, we have to deal with a lot of different, uh, different people in different seasons in life. And every time I get to Mother's Day, I have to think about those who are childless. And I just wanted to run through a quick... We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. This is not going to be depressing. But obviously, we have to address the people who are here in this room. Amen? Amen. This is why I love my church. We don't have to pretend like the obvious isn't there. We don't have to pretend like reality isn't there with us. You're going to be encouraged by the names that we look at here and what God did. Um, The word in the Bible is barren. What I'm going to do for today, and not just trying to be uh, add a colloquialism to it, but we're going to talk about being childless for a season. Amen. Amen. uh, The first person is Sarah. These are some pretty godly folks, by the way. Let's take a look at this list. Sarah. Let's turn to Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15. Verse 2 says this, Genesis 15, 2. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, eh, let's go back to 15, 1. Sorry, I was trying to move on for brevity's sake, but I can't do it. I just can't do it. After this, the word of the Lord, the Debar Yahweh, came to Abram in a vision. How much fun is that? His word came in a vision. Amen. Do not be afraid, afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. We know that the promise came. We know that they even tried to accomplish God's will on their own. And we know that the promised son Isaac came. We know that from Sarah we have uh, the promised son that has come. We also have it happen in the next generation with Rebecca. Turn to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21. We have Sarah and we also have Rebecca. Verse 21 of chapter 25, it says this, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Hold on. Husbands. What's your part in this? We talk about, there's a book that my wife read many years ago called The Power of a Praying Wife. Very encouraging. Great book. I'm going to, if we had time, we'd talk about The Power of a Praying Husband. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Husbands, if we are not praying for our wives, not only about children, but about in every other circumstance, then you're missing your God-given duty as a husband. Don't be delinquent on praying for your wife. It says in this case because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer. Wow. If we had time, we could go to 1 Peter 3 where it talks about husbands. You can have a prayer that is hindered before the Lord because of how you treat your wife. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And this is where we get Jacob and Esau. Um, Let's turn to Genesis chapter 30. Amazing how generations here, the patriarchs, each of the patriarchs had some form of being childless for a season. 
until the Lord came and broke through. Chapter 30 of Genesis in verse 1. So we have Sarah, we have Rebecca, we also have Rachel. Chapter 30, verse 1 says this, When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. Be careful of your heart while you're waiting for the Lord to do what He's going to do. Be careful. Guard your heart. She became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me a child or I'll die. The passion may be real, but be careful where your heart gets in this because we know that Rachel ends up blessing, being blessed with children. Let's look down in verse 9. It's amazing how the Lord of the Lord answers every single issue that we could have in life. If you don't think it, it's just because we may not have found the right scripture yet, but I can assure you the Word of God has it because in verse 9 we see Leah. Wait a minute, I thought it was Rachel that was barren. Look at verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. <laughs> both, both wives, in this case, tried to do it on their own strength. One because she couldn't have kids, one because she could for a season, and then something happened and she couldn't. So they both went into desperation and tried to do it a different way. I'm going to encourage you, whether you've not ever had kids or you're trying to have kids, and, got, and it seems to be um, blocked, let me encourage you. Guard your heart. And, and continue on moving in faith, not in fear. Amen? Amen? Turn to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13 says this. Judges 13, 2. So we have Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. I sometimes forget about Leah in the process of counting through it just because... She had kids initially, but there was a season in there where it created problems for her. In Judges chapter 13, verse 2, it says this, A certain man of Zorah named Manoah, everybody say Manoah, Manoah. from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. Verse 3, The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Right? Don't you just love it where... uh, it sounds like the angel's almost being harsh. Like, you shouldn't say these things. I mean, she knows it. It just said it the verse before. So in case you missed it the verse before, in the very next verse, we're going to say it again. It's amazing when we're longing for something, when we're working on something. Um, in biology, there's a part of our brains, it's called a, it, there's a particular system. It's called the reticular activating system. Yeah. Sounded smart then, huh? I wasn't a teacher for nothing. I learned something. What that, that, what that part of the brain does in, our, in, in who we are is if you're going to move to Indonesia, then you start hearing everybody talking about Indonesia. You find the guy at the restaurant. You, uh, you see, when we were getting ready to move to Texas, we saw every, every license plate we passed by was Texas. Oh, there it is again. If you try to buy a certain car, you'll realize how many of that certain car is out there, right? Yeah. It's a phenomenon. It's activated by our reticular activating system. It's our brain having something that is more like it's starting to, it draws it out of everywhere. You start seeing that. You start, it's the trigger that starts, you see it everywhere you go. I think the Lord uses that for some pretty important things. But here, 
she's focused on the fact that she's sterile and childless, and it seems like it's brought out again. It would be mean except for this fact. It's not mean if you're just explaining it and you're about to change the situation. Amen. <laughs> it would be harsh if you just, hi, I'm... If, if we had to cl- categorize you by all of your weaknesses, right? If that's the first thing that we said. When I was a school teacher, we had to learn how to... If you had students with disabilities. There was a big push back in my day, back 100 years ago when I was teaching, to make sure that you identified them as students first. Not... I'll just, uh, not a blind student, but they were a student with blindness. And you're like, look, is that p- politically correct? It may be, and here's what it did for my heart. They're a student, and they have issues. Right? This would be cruel except for the angel saying, hey, I'm about to change this for you. So this is what you once were, and you're going to be this no longer. Amen. It's actually reassuring to say, yes, we recognize exactly what's going on here. Yes, we see it for exactly what it is, and I'm about to change it. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. That label even that you put on yourself is going to no longer be appropriate. It's amazing. This is the birth of Samson that we have here. As far as I know, Samson's mother is never, you're never told her name throughout Scripture. It's Manoah's wife, Samson's mother. That's, that's a good place to be when we're no longer worried about our name. Amen. People recognizing our name, it doesn't really matter. I'll, I'll be glad to be called Olivia's dad. I'll be glad. For, for a whole group of people, if you think about this, there will be many people in her life in the years to come that will only know me as Olivia's dad. I'm completely fine with that. Don't care that they know my name. If they can see the God that's been handed down to her, it's good enough for me. Amen? Amen. Now let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We have Hannah. I love this story about Hannah. I think it is one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Let's look at verse 9. The Lord had already given Hannah a double portion. She was really crying out to the Lord. Verse 9, it says this, Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery... And remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. <laughs> uh, the, the common vernacular that says when it rains, it pours comes to mind. She's broken hearted. She's weeping. I don't know if you've ever cried out to the Lord in the midst of you crying out someone accused you of the most ungodly things. I've had that happen to me. I've had, Lord, I'm really trying to reach out. I'm trying to stretch out. I'm trying to do exactly what you say. And people have accused me of being power hungry and, and vile. And you're like, no, that's pretty much the opposite of what I'm trying to do here. I mean, that couldn't be any less reality, and yet it's the accusation. She's not drunk. 
She's broken and, and, and weeping in her soul. Hannah, uh, verse 14, and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Some people may give you advice, and it may not be godly advice at all. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Verse 17, Eli said, I answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked Him. Verse 18, She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. So as, as we're getting to this and Hannah, um, I was talking with Pastor Eric as they got back yesterday and we were talking about some connections between Hannah, who is about to have a miraculous birth. Samuel is about to come forth. We're reading the book of 1 Samuel, right? Samuel is about to come forth. And, but what we realized is what I heard from Pastor Eric, some things that he was sharing was the connection between Hannah and Mary. And I want, we, have a, we have a graph that we're going to go through really quickly about this. Um, we just read it right here. Verse 18. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. Hannah heard from the Lord. <laughs> the guy who had just accused her of being wicked says, Hey, it's going to be alright. God's going to be with you. So what did she do? She got up. Everybody say, Get up. Sometimes you just got to get up. Get on up. Right? Sometimes you got to get up. Sometimes you've got to get up from where you are. You've got to let your heart rise. You've got to not let your face be downcast and say, Look, I've heard the word of the Lord, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up now. I'm going to get up and she let everything about her change. Had the situation changed in that very moment? Had it actually changed yet? Not physically, but something in the spirit realm happened at that moment. She said, no, I'm going to do this. The Lord is with me. I'm encouraged in my faith. I'm no longer... She did not continue to cry. She got up and went, I'm going to make something different about my life. I'm going to go forward as if this is in faith. Um, Let's turn to... Hold your place there in 1 Samuel. Turn to Luke chapter 1. We see the same thing with Mary. Luke chapter 1 and verse 38. Say there when you're there. Luke 1, 38 says this. This is Mary answering. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is an interesting position, uh, juxtaposition of Hannah and Mary. Hannah was crying out to the Lord. And when she heard the word, she let her face not be downcast. She got up. She moved on in the Lord. Mary wasn't looking for this. And the Lord told her and granted this upon her. Let me encourage you. Again, part of what we do in our lives is we try to make our lives the exception to everything that God has said. Whether you're crying out and having to have faith that God is going to carry out what He said to you, whether you're crying out in faith and saying, I've got to reach out and stretch out, or whether you're in faith and God is just putting something in your lap and you have to now deal with it. Either way, it requires faith. Reminded in the New Testament uh, where Paul says, I've learned to be abased and I've learned to abound. 
Some of us are like, I'd like to learn more about being abounding, please. In my life, I have had it where I've had no money in the bank account because I was a poor little private school teacher. And I've had times in my life where there's been money in the bank account. You know what happens? I, you know what I learned? I have to have faith in either case. Because when I don't have money, I'm, not, I'm worried that money won't come and get in there. Right. When I do have money, I'm worried that it's going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, how is it that I can worry in both cases? I don't understand that. But I can tell you what my heart is. When I had no money, ah! When I did have money, ah! Money's not the answer. You don't need more money. Amen. You don't. We think that it'll fix it, but it doesn't. Because the same, it's just, it's literally the other side of the fear coin. Either God's going to provide or He's not. Either He's going to provide if I have nothing. He's, he's the one that's providing if I have something in the storehouse. When we can learn some of these things, if you're over here, you're like, yeah, but you guys don't understand where I am. You're at a different place. You don't understand. Oh, but you guys don't understand us. You don't know how hard it is over here. I'm just going to say this. doesn't matter. That's a good word. It doesn't matter. We just have to look and say, Lord, am I operating in faith or am I operating in fear? Period. Because if I'm operating in faith, then I will please you regardless of what I have or what I don't have. If I'm not operating in faith, there is no way that I can please you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not improbable, not unlikely, not very difficult. Impossible. What area is God working on you about your faith today? What area is God trying to say, hey, you're operating in fear and not in faith? Yeah, but you don't understand. If the words, some version of this, but you don't understand comes into your mind, then I'm talking to you. You, But you don't get the complexity of my situation. I may not. I may not be that smart. And it still doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, you don't get it. But our God does. He didn't say without faith it's impossible to ease God unless you've got a really, really good reason. That's, that's not what he says. The Word of God is our standard. We're all going to come up to it. None of us are going to make excuses why we can't, why it's not for us, why it's really for them. Well now, well, now we can do it because Pastor Eric's back. But yesterday we couldn't do it. No. That's ridiculous. Silly, right? <laughs> I'm just glad you're back, man. I'm glad you guys are back. We missed you. Um, so we have faith being demonstrated. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. This is... She was barren until she wasn't. There was difficulties until there weren't. There was struggle until there was breakthrough. Side sandwich, she had three sons and two. She had five more kids. Come on. Almost like the Vincents, man. This is good stuff. Anointed. Blessed. 
Matthew chapter 13. And verse 55. Says this. Isn't this the carpenter's son? This is Mary. Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? I don't know exactly how many sisters, but at least two. We've got four brothers here and at least two sisters because it says plural. Do you know that there are entire doctrines in this world? There are religions that teach that Mary was perpetually a virgin? That she didn't have any other kids? Uh, It's right here, guys. Four brothers and sisters. Hey, man, we see more children that happened after this initial part. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26 says this. Oops, wrong page. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Wow, what an incredible statement. We see Samuel growing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and favor with man. That sounds almost exactly like Luke 2, 52. It says this. If I can get to the right page. Y'all are beating me here. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and favor with men. Do you see the parallels we're drawing here? Do you see these things, how it's laying out? One woman was heartbroken and crying out to the Lord for something. Another woman, it was bestowed upon her. And in both cases, we see that the growth, the end result can be the same. There could be, the end result is God in us beyond measure. The end result is a world changing, a world changer. So wherever you're starting from, that doesn't even matter to God. His word in you is the part that makes the difference. 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to go back to verse 9. Are you all with me? Verse 9 says this. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. This is Hannah's prayer. It is not by strength that one prevails. I'm going to say that again because some of us need to hear that again. This is Hannah's prayer. So do you understand where she's coming from? She is one of two wives. The other wife is merciless against her. Huh. How many kids you got again? where she would weep and not want to eat. She's going into the temple of God. She gets accused of being a drunkard. And then God gives her a word. She's going through, and this is Hannah's prayer. She's praying and saying these things. And look at the end of verse 9. It says, It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And look at this last sentence of that one. It says, He will give strength to His King. Everybody say, strength to His King. And exalt the horn of His anointed. You know what that is right there? That is is the first prophecy in the Bible that associates the King and the Messiah in one place. Wait. Wait, what? 
It's the first place. It's the first revelation that anybody had gotten. You're worried because it's hard and it's a struggle. God is saying, hey, because of that struggle, I, I can now give you more revelation than you had before. I can reveal some things to you like, you know what? It's not by strength that you're going to prevail. It's not by your arm that this is going to happen. It's not by your power. It's not by your might. But maybe it's by His Spirit, declares the Lord. It starts tying some things together where we're not just have a theory of what God's doing. We have an experience in our life and we say, no, I know that it's not by my strength. You know why? Because I've tried it by my strength and I can't do it. How many things have you found out that you can't do? That's, that's a long list, right? It's easier to... At this point in my life, that's, that's the easier list to make. Things I can't do or I can no longer do. Okay, so there's, there's that list. But you know what? It, it doesn't matter because we're going to be people who are so obedient. Our first thought isn't, Lord tells us to do something. We go, but I can't. We're saying, Lord, it's not by our strength that we can. The truthful saying is, Lord, I can't do this in my own strength. And even if I could, why would I want to do that? Lord, I want it to be your strength. Hannah had that understanding. Amen. Couldn't have done anything else. Couldn't have cried anymore. Couldn't have prayed anymore for the Lord to give her a child. It's not by her strength. But here in this last sentence it says, He will give strength to His King. You know, when I was a young man, I, was, I always wanted to be very strong. Can't tell now, but I used to like to work out. Considered myself a fairly strong man, young man. You can try to be strong on your own, or you can let His strength be seen in you. One is very self-focused. One is very Christ-focused. One is saying, Lord, my strength is limited even at best. My, my younger brother is, is a ridiculously strong human being. Like he's the kind of guy we would used to go work out together. It's not even fun. I get worn out taking the weight off of his barbell so that I can then pick it up and try to work out with it. He's just one of those guys. Just, just keep going up. I always kid around with him because he's got he's a he's a big guy, and I just I'd pick on him about his T Rex arms. I was like, of course you can bench press. You're only going like that far. Come on, man. It's not even fair. Just <laughs> says that the Lord will give strength. The Lord will give the right kind of strength to us. Amen. And exalt the horn of His anointed having the King and the Messiah understood in the same place. Um, let's stay in First Samuel. Let's go to chapter 3 and verse 19. <clears throat> I just, I love this phrase. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground. Do you, do you understand that one? First of all, I think it's twofold. It means that Samuel just didn't spout off stuff out of his own mouth that his words would fall to the ground and be ineffective. <laughs> but the Lord was with him, and what he said came to pass. What he said was on the mark. What he said was inspired by God. It says that none of his words fell to the ground. <sighs> I cannot say that about myself, but I'd like to. I'd like to be where none of my words fall to the ground. Take a look at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 and verse 19. 
says this. Luke 24, 19 says, What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word, powerful in deed before God and all the people. And they're actually, these are the people, the uh, men on the, the road to Emmaus. Jesus was described as being powerful in word and powerful in deed, much as we see hinted at in Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21. Back and forth we go, right? Verse 21, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there He revealed Himself to Samuel through His Word. This is how God reveals Himself to us, through His Word and by His Spirit. In John chapter 1, we have such a familiar passage of Scripture. Starting in verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to them... He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Come on. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. The same way that Samuel found his revelation was through the Word. This Word became flesh And what did He do? He made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 18 says this. When He mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backward off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and heavy. Wow, I like to put that on your tombstone. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Not sure if you're supposed to laugh or feel really bad about that, right? He had led Israel 40 years. The very first thing that Samuel was given, hey Samuel, here I am, Eli. No, I didn't say anything to you. Samuel, here I am, Eli. I didn't say anything to you. Oh, it's the Lord calling. Next time he says, here, here I am, Lord. And what he had to tell Eli was that there's basically going to be, there's going to be a new priesthood. There's going to be a new sheriff in town. You didn't handle your kids rightly. God says he's going he's to judge you and your family. How'd you like that to be your first, however old you are as a kid, in the house of the Lord? Your first prophetic word to someone is... Wham! Judgment. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 7. That judgment that pronounced an entirely new priesthood. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11. (laughs) Jesus also testified to a change in the priesthood. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, from the basis of it, the law was given to the people. Why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. Wow, and then look in verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, He has a permanent priesthood. Everybody say permanent priesthood. 
Therefore, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is giving a, uh, an, a new order, a new set of laws, a new set of understanding for what the people are through the order of Melchizedek, not through the Aaronic. So we see that in both, in both places. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. So we see in Hannah some things. We see the result of what Hannah's life was, very similar to what the result of Mary's life was with Jesus. We see parallels there. By the way, those were seven things that helped us to, to see that parallel. 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's start in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon. By the way, so the next, the two stories that we're going to finish out our time with here this morning is the widow at Zarephath with Elijah and then the Shunammite woman with Elisha. I just have to be real honest with you. When I was learning these two stories growing up, I merged them into one story. I did. So if you said the Shunammite woman, I was like... Yeah, she was a widow, right? I guess not from Zarephath. I don't know where that fits in. So in my brain, there were two merged stories. So today we're going to kind of unmerge those. They're very similar in detail. You'll, know, you'll see why if you understand what I'm, if you are familiar with both of these stories. They can kind of blur together, but we're going to have some clarity hopefully to that today. I have uh, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. This is Elijah. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? And she was, as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Hey, while you at it, can you make me a sandwich? Yes. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. Not Debbie Downer at all. This is is one of my favorite responses in the Bible. I'm just going to read it exactly as it says. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. (laughs) Go home and do as you have said. (laughs) Were you listening to me? (laughs) Because I said I'm going to take some sticks and make a little loaf of bread and then we're going to eat it and then we're going to go die. Yes, yes. Do as you said. (laughs) What? I love it. On top of that, before you go off and die, I need to ask you something. Now, can you make me a sandwich? But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. (laughs) Um, I only got a little bit. Yes. Now make me something first. And then you guys go eat after with whatever's left. 
sound, it could sound vicious if you don't understand. If you don't know the end of the story, first of all, if you're, if you're experiencing this, if you're not familiar with this story and you're experiencing it for the first time, you're like, this sounds like crazy talk. Except for the fact that we started off the story for God telling him, I've commanded a widow to make your preparation. I've told someone to take care of you. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. He said, by the way, the catch to this is I'm actually being very merciful to you because if you do this, you won't ever run out of provision. That's right. Amen. If we're obedient to the Lord first, there's a principle here that's beyond just feeding the prophet. If we have a God first kind of home, you know what happens? God will make sure that there's provision in your storehouse. Amen. We can read in Proverbs and say, Lord, don't give me too much or give me too little, lest I forget you or lest I steal and dishonor you. So this is not a prosperity message. This is a message that says, our God will take care of you. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. <laughs> was the verse. I, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. The generation before me in ministry was a generation that served the house of the Lord and many of them lost their families. I actually don't think they were serving the house of the Lord well. I'm just giving a... without going too deeply into it. My generation of ministers has decided that family trumps what the Lord has called you to do. I have pastor friends pastor friends of mine who are, by the world standards, are as successful as you'd ever want to be. And it is not uncommon for their kids during sports seasons to miss a Sunday to go play ball. I mean, because it is the family, right? Okay, so let me help you with this. We're a church that teaches you to be a God-first home. Amen. That if you're in the right order of shalom, the order flows down from God through Jesus into the husband, through the wife, to the kids, to the dog and the cat and the guinea pig, and whoever else is in your household, there is sacrifice that's required to be in the house of God. We're going to put Him first. And ministry flows from our home. The generations before me that I've seen in ministry decided one or the other was the way that it was supposed to be. They decided either I have to go and I have to serve the church and lose my family or I'm going to take care of my family and if I neglect the office that I've been called to by the God of all creation, I'm okay with that. I'm going to say that neither one of those is the correct approach. That's an either or situation. I'm going to say this church we teach you it's both and. It is both and. You have to. You have to answer the call that God has given you. You have to work at it. It is going to cost you time. It is going to cost you sweat. It is going to cost you tears. There will be blood in the sacrifice. No way around it. And we want you to have healthy families so that ministry flows from the proper shalom that's there. You don't get to ignore one to do the other. Ooh, that's harder. Yes, it's harder. Yes, it's more complicated. We are not in kindergarten here. We don't have to make everything either or choices. We're going to say it's both. And we're all required to do that. Amen? Amen? Yes. Okay, this is easy to agree to, but this is the way that it's supposed to work. And we see that right here in this widow that says, 
The man of God says, make me some food first. But what if I don't have enough? Yes, that is a real possibility. Except that the Lord has spoken. Amen? Verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. Thank you, God, for obedient people. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord had spoken. Now verse 17, sometime later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. That's pretty bad. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin? And kill my son. You know what's interesting in how she responds? She's presuming, kind of like what they did in John chapter 9, where they come to a blind man. They say, Hey, Jesus, who sinned? This guy or his parents? As if all struggle in life is only generated from a negative perspective. All struggle is not generated necessarily as a cause of sin. That's That's what she's implying. My son died. Did you come to remind me of my sin? That I not do enough good stuff in my life? Is there some scales in the balance and I was found wanting somehow? Be careful that we don't presume the wrong things. Be careful that you don't have the wrong theology and not know it. Well, well this, this happened, so it must be because of A or B. What if it's not either of those choices? What if God loves you enough that He's actually going to provide difficulty in your life because it's going to help you? Oh. Okay. Verse 19, Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried her to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. Everybody say, cried out. Cried out. Oh, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her to son to die? Interesting Elijah's prayer is interesting here too. Hey Lord, what are you doing? What's what's going on here? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. So the boy is laying down on the bed. Elijah lays on top of him. Gets up. Lays on top of him again. Gets up. Lays on top of him again. Oh Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Verse 22, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Goodness gracious. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. Really? Thank you, Captain Obvious. Right? Now she knew and understood because her, the flour hadn't run out and the oil hadn't run out. She understood that he was a man of God. The words there are Ata yada. Now I know that not even life and death, that you are such a man of God that that God causes resurrection power to come from you. If I had time, I'd go into a lot of places where it says, now I know these exact words in the Hebrew. Genesis 22, Abraham. God says, now I know 
that you love me. Now I know because this is as he's about to offer Isaac on the altar. Exodus 18, Jethro says something to Moses. says, now I know, after he heard all that Moses was retelling him. 2 Kings 5, Naaman, just been healed from leprosy. Now I know. And on and on it goes. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. So that was the widow at Zarephath in 1 Kings 17 with Elijah. Elijah. Now we're going to go to 2 Kings 4, which is Elisha. Let's look at verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there. Everybody say, well-to-do. Huh, fancy, fancy schmancy, who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he could stay there wherever he comes to us. <laughs> so as if it weren't confusing enough between the two stories, they now both had rooftop rooms. Right? Guest rooms. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi. Everybody say Gehazi. Gehazi. God bless you. Call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? Elisha's trying to be kind to her because she was kind to him. She replied, I have a home among my own people. No, thank you, man of God. I'm good. I'm good. What can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. This is kind of like Mary. I'm going to compare this to her. She wasn't particularly looking for it. She didn't ask. She could have asked. But she didn't even ask in this case. It was Gehazi who understood the the situation. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her. And she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. Now, this is how you know that it really was in her heart to have a kid. She just didn't have the heart. She didn't have the courage to say it. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant. Like... Hey, man, don't play with me. You could say a bunch of other things. Don't, just don't. I'd rather you not say it than say that I'm going to have a kid. You go, oh, yeah, that cry in her heart. You do see it here. Verse 17. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. My head, my head. He said to his father, his father told his servant, carry him to his mother. Typical dad, right? (laughs) You're sick, go see mom. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) I mean, not that it ever happened in my house, I'm just saying. After the servant had lifted him up and carried to him his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed. Now listen to this. This is the Shunammite woman here. I want you to hear how she's responding to these things. Don't take it for granted. Try to put yourself in this situation. If my kid 
sits in my wife's lap and dies, how would you interpret her response? She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of those servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Uh, Dear, would you have one of our servants pull up the car, please? Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. We normally don't go to the man of God like this. This is unusual. Why are you doing this? Her response, it's all right. Really, your response is it's all right? Your son is dead, lying on a bed upstairs. It's all right. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. Let's put the pedal to the metal here. Let's go. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to the servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. How do you want to take that? I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's okay. This is one where we don't get to hear her saying it. We don't see the facial expressions because we can take it a couple of ways. Is she in denial? Is she trying to walk in faith? Is she trying to just hold it together? Went on a retreat with my work last week and I walked up to someone and said, hey, I think the Lord wants me to encourage you with this scripture. She burst into tears and then never told me what it was about. She pulled herself back together. She was like, thank you. That's from the Lord. And that was it. I was like, amen. You keep holding it together. You can tell me it's all right. I'm not going to push. Everything is all right. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. God... Wow, great servant, right? Gehazi came over to push her away. What are you doing? Don't do that. But the man of God said, leave her alone. Listen to this next phrase. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. He's a prophet, right? He could have discerned it when she was walking up. He asked some questions that you're like, well, maybe he already knows. Apparently he doesn't. The Lord has hidden it from him. Sometimes it's like blind Bartimaeus when Jesus is there and he's saying, hey, what do you want me to do for you? He's blind. What do you think I want to... Sometimes we have to, the Lord, we have to make our requests known unto Him. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. Sometimes there's a specificity that we lack. Lord, help me. Well, okay. Sometimes that's all I can get out. When I'm walking on the water and I get my eyes on the waves, sometimes all I got is, Lord, save me. I don't have a great theological prayer that I'm doing here. But for other things, you have not because you ask not. I just want to encourage some folks in here. You might need to be like this woman and be willing to say exactly what it is that you need. Verse 28, Did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt Take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Dispense with all the pleasantries. 
All the social norms, we're going to throw them out the window because there's something important that God is doing here. So at that moment, Elisha understood. He sends Gehazi to run. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha. So they start the process of getting back. Gehazi beats them there long enough that he's there, puts the staff on the boy, doesn't see anything, and comes back and meets Elisha and the Shunammite woman en route. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. Can can you see the picture there? Again, very similar to what Elijah did. He laid on the boy. This one, it it gives you a clear picture. It's not like he was snuggling with him. It was face to face, hands to hands, mouth to mouth. There's cultures in the world where you don't shake hands, where to show affection instead we hug, we all hug, right? Men will grab each other by the back of the head and just touch foreheads and noses to each other. A little, little close there in my personal space. This is exactly what Elisha does. He gets there and there's mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. We're going to talk about that in a second. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Can can we stop just a second? We're going to get back to this. Can we go big picture for a second? This is actually giving you a picture of what the nation of Israel was like. Let's have someone run ahead and give you the staff. We're going to give you the law. We're going to put it right in your face. We're going to let you see it. We want you to get intimate with the law. But it didn't produce the life that was intended. The law was given and it didn't resurrect the people. There was still a sinful nature that was at work. The law of sin and death was still there. And then what happens? There had to be some type of transfer. When Jesus came in the flesh, He said, I want you to see me eye to eye. You're going to mouth them. You're going to understand exactly what I'm saying. You're going to see what I'm doing. Put your hands in these holes. Put your hands right here, hand to hand, eye to eye, mouth to mouth. And what does it say? They warmed up. Amen. Is it full life yet? No, it's not full life. So what happens next? Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room. And then he got on the bed and stretched out upon him once more. So the first time with Elijah, it was three times he laid upon the child. This time it's the staff. It's the face-to-face. And then he stands up and he walks around. There's a period of time and then he does it again. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Life came back into the boy. It's a weird way to say it. He sneezed seven times. The the Spirit of God. We have the law. We have the Son. And then we have the Spirit that inhabits the nation. And once that happens, the nation of Israel is waiting for the return of the Messiah. They're waiting for the second coming of this God who will be in the human form in a a glorified body and say, eye to eye, mouth to mouth, 
hand to hand, we're going to do this. Now what about us? Whether it's mothers, whether it's fathers, our job is to transmit life to those around us. You can try to send something on ahead if you like, but you know the best way to transfer life? Face to face. Eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. Mothers, what, what you are tasked to do is to teach your kids how to speak properly to the Lord. I don't mean just manners. I mean, you've got to teach them not to give in to fear with what they say. You've got to teach them not to degrade the authority of their life. You've got to teach them not to give in to the way the world thinks. You've got to show them by your very words, by your very mouth, by everything that comes out of your heart, through your mouth, you've got to show them exactly what's going on. You've got to get them to see eye to eye with you. I want my kids to see the world the way that I see it. That may sound arrogant. I just think it's called parenting. If God would have wanted my kids to have somebody else, He would put them with some other parent. So He put them with me, so I want them to see. You know when we were in Africa with Gabe and Olivia? Hey, do you see that? Do you see this? Do you see how this is working? Do you see those people over there? Do you see Baj? Do you see how he's interacting? Are you watching, Pastor Eric? Are you, seeing, are you seeing this? Are you paying attention to this? I see this. Do you see the same thing? Oh, I didn't notice it. Good. That's why I'm saying we're going eye to eye here. We are supposed to transfer life. Amen. This is our job as believers. Not only is it a job as a mother, it's a job as a father. It's a job as a believer that I'm going to transmit life to you. It's called discipleship. It's called the actual body of Christ. That I want the Lord to do that. He's already done this to me. He said, I'm going to give you new eyes. I'm going to give you a new mouth. I'm going to give you new hands so that you can do what I'm asking you to do. Now you're supposed to go and in turn transmit that to others. We've got to transfer the life. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. Amen. Pastor Matt, why don't you come on up? Let's do this. Let's have everybody stand together.